Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. If we have any hope of transforming the world and changing ourselves, we must be bold enough to step into our discomfort, brave enough to be clumsy there, loving enough to forgive ourselves and others. May we, as people of faith, be granted the strength to be so bold, so brave, and so loving. Come, let us worship together. I wish the answer was simple. I wish there was some quick way of explaining our faith when someone asks over a meal or over the counter, so, uh, what is Unitarian Universalism? I wish I had some neat little prop that I could pull out of my pocket and say, see, here it is, an easy three-point plan. Wonderful. We are a nation of sound bites and tweets and short attention spans, so I feel a cultural pressure to respond to that question with something that is succinct and meaningful and wise and compelling and inviting in 280 characters or less. So let's face it, though. When that whatever religion you claim, you cannot explain it in a soundbite. I'm a Christian. So, what does that mean? I'm a Buddhist. So, what does that mean? I believe in God. So what? I don't believe in God. So what? Often when Unitarian Universalists get asked this question, there is a deer-in-the-headlight kind of look that comes over our face. And in our wish to be succinct, we end up saying something like, well, uh, we believe that you can believe whatever you believe. So I get why people say this. I've said it myself sometimes. And I have a lot of compassion for wanting to camouflage those oh, very fumbly, clumsy feelings that arise when someone pops that question. What is a Unitarian Universalist? In essence, asking, what are the non-negotiables of your faith? What are the convictions that you hold fast to that are sunk deep in your heart? In these days of hate rhetoric and racism and fanning the flames of white supremacy and rage, our go-to response of you can believe whatever you believe is questionable at best and downright dangerous. I want to tell you a story of one of our premier theologians of the 20th century, James Luther Adams, and why his writings and his life experience have so deeply shaped my non-negotiables of faith 
and my understanding of the saving grace that is Unitarian Universalism. In 1935, James Luther Adams, a young Unitarian minister and newly appointed professor of theology at the Meadville Lombard uh, Seminary in Chicago, went to Germany to study under some of the heaviest hitters of liberal theology at that time, 1935. What he found in Germany rocked him to his core. Instead of his beloved liberal theology and the Protestant churches of the day being a bulwark of resistance to rising fascism and champions of their neighbors of the Jewish tradition, he saw liberal churches fall right in step with the rise of Nazism. As my colleague Jim, Reverend Jim Fody says, history has not been kind to congregations and ministers who have faced authoritarianism. And Germany was no different. The pattern was predictable and clear. As Jim says, first there is complacency, then looking away, then desensitization, then voluntary or forced collaboration. Adams could not believe what he was witnessing in the communities of the liberal Protestant faith. Over the course of his stay, he ended up living with an old Harvard buddy who had just been released from the concentration camps. And his friend encouraged Adams to do more than sit at the feet of the great theologians of the day and get involved with the confessing church ministry. A consortium of conservative-leaning ministers and theologians who actively opposed Hitler at great risk. Running with that crowd of believers, Adams watched his colleagues preach an authentic faith that called for a Christian ethic of love and speaking out against the government while the secret police sat in the audience. He said he learned what it was like to read the Bible as more than just great literature, but hearing it read in homes of the persecuted as a text of decision-making and commitment. Adams had his own run-in with the, the Gestapo as he was picked up and questioned about his activities and held for a while, and finally released. He was deeply changed by his experience. He had to ask, what are the non-negotiables of the liberal faith? He wrote, let me put it autobiographically and say that in Nazi Germany, I soon came to the question, what is it in my preaching and my political action that would stop this? It is a liberal attitude to say that we keep ourselves informed and read the best papers on these matters and perhaps join a voluntary association now and then, but to be involved with other people 
so that it costs. So that it costs. And so that one exposes the evils of society requires something more like conversion. Something more than an attitude. It requires a sense that there's something wrong. And I must be different from the way I have been. Adam's words are laying so heavy and full in my gut right now. What is it in my preaching and my political action that would stop the rising sense of hate in this country right now? What are ways that I might be involved with other people so that it costs? What is the conversion that requires a sense that there's something wrong and I must be different from the way I have been? In light of last week's mass shootings and pipe bombs of people being targeted for the color of their skin or the practice of their faith or their political views, while a president complains about lost momentum for his party, Adam's challenge to live an authentic faith rings deep in my heart and my head. It brings back to me this question, oh, so you're you, you. What do you believe? James Luther Adams came to the conclusion that the question of what we believe is actually a misleading question. Faith is not fundamentally about what we believe, but about our commitments. We are faithful to something, whether we claim a faith tradition or not. The Nazis were and are faithful to blood and soil. White nationalists are faithful to a white supremacist worldview. Faith is the nature of being human. Find where a person commits her time and energy and you will discover her faith. We are free and faithful creatures. Are we faithful to approval? To comfort? Are we faithful to racial justice? Are we faithful to solidarity? Are we faithful to joy and resistance? Are we faithful to our neighbors? Are we faithful to Netflix? <laughs> People can walk into a sanctuary every Sunday of their lives and still practice a faith of greed and bigotry. People who reject religion altogether can be religiously faithful to justice. The real issue is not whether you are a practicing Jew or a Christian or a humanist or a Unitarian Universalist. The real question is between an authentic or a perverted faith. Adams was famous for saying, an unexamined faith is not worth having. This is bedrock for Unitarian Universalists. 
We believe that faith is an evolving enterprise, that faith changes as we come to a greater understanding and wisdom. You might say, we are born again, not once, but again and again and again and again. But what do we have faith in? Where do we place our ultimate trust? Adams outlines authentic faith with three principles. First is that our ultimate dependence for being and freedom is upon a creative power that is not of our own making. We are part and parcel of this mysterious creative creation that is creating still. Adams called it a commanding, sustaining, transforming reality. We participate in this meaning-making reality, and this meaning-making reality participates through us and works upon us. That life is ultimate and intimate all at once. Adrienne Marie Brown, in her book, Emergent Strategies, puts it this way. What we practice at a small scale can reverberate to the largest scale. Jesus said it this way. Love God with all you've got and love your neighbor at least as much or more than you love yourself. They're both pointing to the truth that our most intimate acts are caught up in a transcendent reality and transcendence is caught up in the smallest blade of grass and the everydayness of our everyday life. Whether you believe in God or not, as faithful people, we say this life has meaning. There's something more than just our individual efforts and concerns. There is something greater than ourselves. We participate in this commanding, sustaining, transforming reality in our struggle for truth, in our creations of beauty, and our acts of goodness. And we can choose to participate authentically and faithfully in this reality or pervert this reality, but it is real. There's an old Latin proverb that says, Faith is a sister of justice. The second tenet of an authentic faith in Adam's thinking is that authentic faith works for the common good. We're here in this creative, meaning-making venture for good. Our universalist ancestors made this faith claim again and again. We are here to bring heaven to earth to practice good works, to find joy in our own being, in being with one another, and in the ultimate source of being. We can figure out what is good by paying attention to the practices and patterns in which every person is respected as a whole and holy human being. We pay attention to communities that work for opportunities for each and all to flourish. This is the valid and dependable gauge we use to determine good within human community. We're here 
to do good. The third pillar of Adam's outline of faith was that good must take form. That the achievement of good requires us to come together to organize in powerful ways. Every creative endeavor must find form. You don't have music if there is not an organization of notes and voices. You don't have art if there aren't paintings. There is no architecture without buildings. There is no such thing as an enduring faith without communities of justice and love. Faith has to make a difference. Or what's the point? As Adam saw it, every one of us should be active in some group at the cutting edge of contemporary issues. Being on the library board doesn't count, he said, unless a librarian is under attack as a communist, end quote, or in our day being targeted by white nationalists. He said, the faith of the free is not just thinking as you please. A faith that is authentic and free is one that is committed to determining what is of ultimate concern and acting on it. These words, they are beating loudly in my heart right now. The faith of the free is not just thinking as you please. A faith that is authentic and free is one that is committed to determining what is of ultimate concern acting on it. We are living in big times, friends, when there are so many who are being targeted and hurt with rhetoric that dehumanizes, debases, and declares war on people. People. It is important that we vote on Tuesday. Absolutely vote on Tuesday. Members of our church are volunteering to drive folks to the polling places now through election day. If we can help in other ways, let us know. Call the church or email me or another minister and we will do our best to help you figure things out. The intimate act of voting is of ultimate concern for our state and for our country. It's a matter of authentic faith. And we have some other things to do as well, some other commitments that are important. We must care for ourselves and others in these turbulent times. The perpetual drone of vitriol and hate speech, the acts of violence we experience or to which we bear witness firsthand or in the news, ratchets up the anxiety level in our beings and activates past experiences of trauma that are embedded in our bodies. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a constant flight, flee, or fight mode. In times such as these, it's important to continue or develop practices and patterns that calm our spirit, that calm our bodies down, that help us center and breathe and connect with good and grace. If you pray, make a priority to pray. 
If you meditate, make sure you find time to meditate. Practice Sabbath and set aside screen-free days. Walk in the woods and let those trees speak to you. Walk with a friend, cry, laugh, listen. Join a Soul Matters group and be brave enough to speak what is on your heart. Find ways to make openings for the holy. Tend to your soul and then tend to some organized community of good. Commit to some group at the cutting edge of contemporary issues. There are so many groups that are part of our faithful action ministry right here in this church that are tending and working for good. The racial justice team, our sanctuary and resistance team, the environmental justice team, the housing justice team. Working with our community partners, whatever it is. Find a place to plug in and work for good. Finally, I have been reciting the prayer that opened our service this morning over and over and over again. I get up in the morning and I say it to myself. I go to a meeting and before I step through the door, I say it to myself. I go to sleep, I say it to myself. It is the opening prayer before I begin my meditation. It was written by Reverend Joseph Cherry, my colleague and one of the voices of color in our living tradition. And this is what it says. If we have any chance of transforming the world and changing ourselves, we must be bold enough to step into our discomfort, brave enough to be clumsy there, and loving enough to forgive ourselves and others. May we, as people of faith, have the strength to be so bold, so brave, and so loving. May it be so, and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.